Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Tom Howder, the Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. I moderated a recent ACT IAC event where Tom Howder was my guest. Yeah, thank you, Jason. It's great to be here. I'm really happy how the year turned out. Uh, and I have some other numbers to talk about in addition to those. So another big number is $100 billion. Uh, and that is the business volume that the Federal Acquisition Service did last year. And that's the first time we've ever hit $100 billion. Last year, it was closer to $90 billion. So we continue to grow all over the place. $6 billion, $6 billion in savings that we produced for the American taxpayer through our various programs. And here's a percentage for you, 46%. Uh, that's the percentage of dollars that's awarded that went to eligible small businesses. So for the 13th consecutive year, GSA has earned an A or an A-plus from SBA in terms of our small business utilization. So lots of success there. Uh, I would also mention with AAS, the obligations were also $18 billion. And obligations are an indicator of future revenue. So we're going into the year strong with AAS, and it's going to continue to grow. But that wasn't the only place that we, uh, we had successes. Uh, our general supplies and services had an outstanding year as well. Uh, really aggressive growth uh, centered on the retail operations front, especially, uh, but also the, the requisition channels were growing, uh, especially as uh, the needs for the Department of Defense have increased over the last couple of years, and we've taken advantage of that and helped them out as well. So the only place where we have a little bit of uncertainty is with uh, our TTL organization. Certainly parts of it have been up. Uh, I would say, you know, the airlines, uh, government's back traveling again, but we're also getting buffeted by the automotive environment in general. So if you've gone out and tried to buy a car in your personal life, you've seen what the prices have gone to. Uh, so we have that uh, facing us. But at the same time, we've managed to uh, purchase about uh, 15% of our vehicles are zero emissions. So we've been increasing that over the last year as well. So uh, even where uh, we have some turbulence in the environment, we're showing some great successes. So really, really happy with how FY23 turned out for us. That $100 billion number, and I saw there's a blog post by Sonny Hashmi maybe a week or so ago, really uh, also highlighting a lot of these successes. Can you talk a little bit about was that surprising? You, you see the numbers come in during the year. So, of course, you see the buildup. But the fact is that this, if I remember correctly, it's probably the first time you've ever broken the $100 billion mark. Yes, uh, that, that was surprising. We knew that parts of the organization were going to continue with phenomenal growth rates. AAS has been on a tear for the last decade. We were less certain in some other parts of the organization to see us grow then from $90 billion to $100 billion in overall business volume was a very pleasant surprise. A lot of that comes back to the, the growth in federal procurement, but not all of it. Did you see some trends that said the growth in federal procurement, of course, has been up, especially during the pandemic? We saw that. But was there other reasons why you said, oh, this is why agencies are coming to GSA more? I mean, you, you've had some customer feedback. You've had some uh, – we saw AAS grow. Is there any trends you'd point to to say why that, that growth happened beyond people spent more money? Part of it is that we've gotten better positioning ourselves into markets that maybe we haven't been in before. A good example of that is the CIBR program, uh, which a few years ago was zero for us. And now I think our, our obligation level is over a billion dollars there. So we're growing very quickly in CIBR. I 
see that happening. I see us moving into the ISR, Intelligence Surveillance Reconnaissance. Uh, so we hadn't had much business with that community in the past, and we've really been able to, to move forward there. Uh, and also, I would say just the general growth in DOD. So as there are, are military needs increasing around the world, we're helping them with uh, you know, the support of that. Obviously, we don't provide anything like weapon systems or things that go boom, but there's a lot of other things that uh, DOD requires, and we're able to fill those needs. So the, I think those are a lot of uh, the organic growth areas that we have. And because, Tom, we have an IT audience here, and, and a lot of the folks at ACT-IAC focus on the IT sector, are there some trends around the IT sector you'd point to? I mean, I know we've talked about, uh, I gave some numbers around the IT category and some of the successes that Laura Stanton mentioned the other day. Uh, are there some trends you'd point to that say, uh, whether it's contracting trends or just buying trends, you could say, oh, that's that was surprising. That was a nice surprise that, that made us really saw some growth areas too? I don't know if they're particularly surprising, but you're certainly seeing a lot of focus on you know, the supply chain, cybersecurity are certain growth areas. We're looking at AI to start taking off as well. So those are the places that I, that I would really look where we're expecting some pretty robust growth over time. Tom, 2023 was a, was a banner year, lots of good success. Let's move on to 2024. What have you done for me lately? What, what are some of those plans and priorities? We obviously intend to continue focusing on Sunny Hashmi's North Stars. And so to quickly recapitulate what that is, uh, tremendous value for our customer mission, thriving marketplace, and dead easy to do business with. So you're going to see everything falling within that specific paradigm. Uh, and so specifically, you're really going to see us focusing on user experience. That is something that has been a big priority of our administrator. And so that's uh, it's going to be very important to us as well. Small business fulfillment, certainly going to be focusing a lot there. Uh, as I mentioned a second ago, cybersecurity and scrim. I'd also say uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, the services marketplace, Oasis Plus. We want to get that awarded this year. A big thing for us, uh, acquisition workforce. Uh, we simply don't have enough acquisition professionals, so a lot of attention in terms of recruitment and retention of them. Fleet electrification. As I mentioned, we did get uh, our fleet up to 15% zero emission vehicles. We want to increase that. Some of that's going to be supply chain issue. It's just hard to get the vehicles on the market, but we're going to try to push that. And then I think you're going to see a lot in our systems environment. So uh, different tools that we provide either external to GSA or internally to GSA, say, for example, supplier portal or catalog management or Calm. Calm is our, uh, our system for putting together contracts. Uh, and then finally, I think uh, the real thing that we're going to be working on is sort of encapsulating all of that is framing fast for the future, the F4 initiative. That is where we have fundamentally changed uh, the structure of the Federal Acquisition Service, where today we no longer have regions. Now, the rest of GSA, they do have regions, but the Federal Acquisition Service, uh, we've deregionalized. All the people remain in the same place. Nobody lost their job. Nobody really changed their functions much, but we're looking at it in a new way. We have a centralized management structure. All right, several things to follow up with you on. Let's go ahead and jump right into the F4. I know uh, there's a lot of interest in that, and, and then we'll kind of jump into some of the other areas that you mentioned because I think supply chain risk management is a big one, and, and of course, all the executive orders that, and, and policies that are coming around cyber that are related to that. But the F4, Tom, I, I think a lot of folks have heard about it. We've uh, I had a good interview with Sonny Hashmi about it. 
But here we are a month into it. What's the latest? How are things progressing? Just give me a little bit of, of where we are today with the reorg, and then hopefully folks will maybe want to ask some questions about how it will affect either their world or how they work with GSA specifically. Sure. So I'll start with where we are today. We did uh, have the order become effective on October 8th. And probably from an external view, you haven't seen much different yet because everything we're doing right now is is internally focused. The regions, they're no longer there. Uh, We've moved all the people into the nationally reporting programs. It went surprisingly smoothly. So, you know, anytime you do a cutover, whether it's a system or whether it's an organization or anything, you always have those jitters, what what happens on cutover day. Uh, We were able to coordinate very closely with our CXO organizations to make it smooth, really smooth sailing. So all all the people's position descriptions transitioned over, the reporting structures transferred over, things like you don't even necessarily think about signing leave slips transferred over. Uh, we didn't have any major hiccups in that, but that's where the work really now begins because at this point, we actually have to implement the new structure. Uh, and that's going to take a year, 18 months, maybe even two years in some parts of the organization. Now, half of the Federal Acquisition Service really was not affected by this at all. So ITC, not affected. Uh, fleet, not affected. Uh, TTS organization, not affected by any of this. Where you see the impact the most is going to be in the Assisted Acquisition Services Program, our CASE program, and our General Supplies and Services Program. And you alluded to the 12 to 5 earlier, which is the number of client support centers in AAS that were throughout the regions plus the FedSim organization going down to five apexes. Uh, And they're going to be uh, customer-centric. So it's not going to be geography-centric. Going to be customer centric. So we'll have an Army Apex. We're going to have an Air Force and Navy Apex. We're going to have a civilian Apex. We're going to have an innovation Apex where Cibber and programs like that are going to fit. And then we're going to have the DOD Apex, which is sort of fourth estate. That's how we're going to configure, but it's not going to happen on day one. Right now, uh, we have pieces of regions that are have been, to use the elegant term that Chris Benetham, our AAS assistant commission, they've been smushed together. And so over time, uh, you're going to see then the contracts begin to move to the proper apex. So today, uh, if you look at any apex, they have a mix of contracts. But over time, uh, all the Army contracts are going to be moving over to the Army apex. We just don't want to sever relationships. Uh, We don't want to break anything as we do it. Uh, And that's really when you're going to start to see the real visible aspects to the external world. I think that's a key point here that I want to ask you to maybe hit upon. You don't want to break anything. You don't want – because a lot of times reorgs, when they happen, people get worried. Oh, how is this going to affect me? Tom, are you moving my cheese? Right? We've heard that term before. The idea is not just to take, okay, well, all of Army goes to this new Apex. Well, but I have a relationship with Tom. I've known Tom for 25 years. Now I'm not going to deal with Tom anymore because Tom's on the agriculture Apex. I think what you're saying is as contracts come to an end, as recompetes happen, that's when they'll be moved. Talk a little bit about the plan to to shift some of those contracts because I think that that involves both vendors and agencies alike. That's exactly right. So today uh, it's with the same people who were working them before. We tried to keep teams together as much as we could. 
you know, whether they're fed sim teams or whether they are regional teams when we when we did the, the lifting and the shifting. So we will look for natural breakpoints. If, for example, we got some brand new business in today, say we got a brand new Army customer today. Yeah, of course, we will put that in the Army Apex. We would start them off there. Uh, but that's not what we're going to do with the existing customers. We're going to look for those breakpoints, whether it's an, at an option period or a recompete. That's where we would do that because we are a relationship business and most of our business is repeat customers and you, you do not want to sever those relationships. So you have to have the right timing in terms of when you actually move them. And to the extent that we can keep the same GSA teams together, we want to do that as well. So if, if there's today a big army contract and I'll just make this up, maybe it's in the civilian apex today, we may move that to the army apex and we may also move the GSA people who have worked it for the last decade over to that Army Apex with it. Uh, when I say move, I don't mean physically move the people. They're going to be wherever they happen to be. But virtually, managerially, we could very well move the same people with the same relationships to the new Apex. And vice versa. You know, the Army Apex may be giving up people to go over to the innovation apex and things of that nature. So that's just going to take a little while to, you know, sift through all of that to make sure it goes smooth. We have to take a break. My guest today is Tom Howder, the deputy commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. I caught up with Tom at a recent ACT IAC event. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Tom Howder, the Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. I moderated an ACT-IAC event where Tom was the guest speaker. The other thing is a, a lot of the, the vendors themselves probably won't see a big difference in from the reorg, at least initially, maybe in the first year, maybe not ever. Are there specific things that vendors, since we know we have a, a lot on the, the, the session here, maybe should keep in mind as this reorg uh, continues to evolve? Well, it, I they show a little patience, you know, just understand that there's going to be some transition time. I actually think this is going to make it better for the vendor community uh, because they're going to have fewer places to go to. You know, they're going to know if, if AAS is working a Navy contract, they're going to know exactly who to go to. They're not going to have to figure out which region it is in or whether it's in FedSim or all that's all that's gone. They're going to know. Likewise, they're going to know better what the opportunities that are out there. So many, many times over the years, I've had vendors come talk to me and say, who do I even contact in this location to find out what opportunities they have? So that's going to be more centralized now. Uh, and so there were certain organizations, FedSim principally being the, the best at this, of broadcasting what opportunities were coming up. So we're going to leverage that kind of process that FedSim had and some of the other regions had uh, and make a more centralized place where you can find out where those opportunities are happening. So really what this was about was smoothing off some rough edges in FAS. And, there's, and it was not just for the vendor community, of course, but for our customers and our internal workforce. So we, we were really trying to focus on making things better for everybody. One last bit about the reorg, and I think this is important too, because this is one of the things that people wonder, Tom, why are you doing a rework? Nothing broke. This was working well. You guys had the best ever, right? So can you talk a little bit about the fact is this is not about because something was wrong, there was no emergency, there was no problems, but it was just part of this was time. It, it, it was time for a reorg in, in many regards. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I think 
when you're strong, that's the best time to, to look at yourself and do some introspective examination and figure out where you want to go. You don't want to do it when you're backed into a corner because then you're going to just have to like grab onto something. We wanted to really go through this deliberately and figure it out. And frankly, it was no surprise we were going to go this direction. You could see this coming years ahead of time. We had already been gravitating in this way for a long, long time. We had to put in place some pretty dysfunctional processes to, to plaster over the cracks that were happening in the existing organization. But we needed to change. And if we had waited another, I don't know, three, five years, things would have been really broken. So you look at it and you, you move in your new direction while you have that great timing, while you have the strength, while you have the political will and capital to do that. And, and that really was sort of what was overarching here. We knew we had the opportunity to just seize the moment, move forward with it, and put the structure in place that's going to take us out for the next 10, 15 plus years. All right. I think that's the key point that sometimes gets lost in this discussion because of well, why is you fixing something that's not broken, but it's not a matter of being broken or not, but it had been maybe ever since you guys had reorged and, and there's different customer needs and different and different ch- and changes that happen. Let's speak of those customer needs. Uh, GSA every year does a great industry survey. They do a customer survey. The 2023 survey, Tom, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's it's completed. Are there some trends? Are there things you can tell us about what you've learned so far about how GSA and its customers and its industry are, are being served? And how is that leading to some of your priorities for 2024? Yeah, so I have some very preliminary data on those. So we, we did complete the customer loyalty survey and we did complete the industry satisfaction survey. They're both done on different scales, but round about 75 to 80% customer and industry satisfaction. So that's, that's pretty darn good. Always room for improvement, but uh, pretty darn good. Uh, and on the customer loyalty survey, we did have a positive net promoter score. So we had more people who were saying good things about us than, than the detractors who were saying these are things you need to fix. So that, that was the first part of it. We actually use these data considerably. First of all, we hardwire uh, results into our senior executive performance plans. You know, so we take them very seriously. We ask a whole variety of different questions on these to, to pull out where our strengths are, but also where our weaknesses are. And based on that, we have a team in the case organization that parses through the data uh, and then pulls out what are our targets of opportunity. So what are those things that uh, we can affect the highest return on investment in terms of actually impacting our customers and impacting industry? And then each of the organizations, all, all of our business lines, put together plans based on those data, and they're charged with achieving actual concrete things. And so I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, we had been getting a lot of feedback that our customers didn't really know where their orders were. And so uh, if you use Amazon or something like that, you can track the status of your order. You see where it is. Uh, and so we we put in place a program to do that. We started working with our community, our industry community, to uh, get that order status into our systems. Uh, and the customers really like that. We can actually see the, the, the needle move in terms of satisfaction for that. But those are the kinds of things that we look for every year. What can we do? What, what are the pain points and what can we do to improve upon them? So, Tom, you know I'm going to ask you, 
What, what, what is new for 2023? What, what did you learn in 2023 that you're starting to say, okay, in 2024, even though the, the, the details and the results are preliminary, is there anything that's standing out to you right now that says, okay, here's the next hill we're going to climb? So it's still too early. I wish I could. They're literally like coming through the, the mountains of data right now. Uh, so if you'd asked me this question in about a month, I'd have a better answer for you. All right. I'll put that down. I'll put the little tickler on my calendar to say, ask right. Tom Howder that question. But I think the the key point here, whether or not you know exactly what you want to touch upon, that industry feedback, that customer feedback is really key. That's made a, that's driven a lot of those changes over the years. The catalog improvements, we, we can go down there. We, as you mentioned, the order decision, the, the order, status, order yeah. status one is, is really important. When you take those, what is the process by which, you, okay, we have a, a pain point. How do we solve it? Is there a, a, an approach? Generally speaking, of course, everything's a little different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But can you tell us a little bit about what that what that approach is, what that process is to go from pain point to, to solution? First step, of course, is finding out that there is a pain point. So that's what the survey process does. Based upon the data, they'll painstakingly go through it and they will do a statistical analysis on it. So they'll, they'll figure out where there are statistical, statistically significant changes. So based on that, uh, our portfolios, our, our business lines will select which ones they're going to focus on for the year. Uh, and, you know, that's where the return on investment analysis and things of like that come into play. It's like, obviously, you're going to want to do one where you can put in a minimal amount of effort and have a maximum amount of impact. Uh, so there are a few of those. There's a little bit of that low-hanging fruit. But they then formally put plans around those. So they select them. They put a formal plan around it. And then they do it as a project. They put together a project team to address that. So that's that's the basic series of steps of how it would go from pain point identification to to resolution. Uh, but every year, it's re-baseline. Every year, uh, we look at... Uh, what set of projects we're going to undertake to address those issues. Tom, one of the other changes that I just want to touch upon, you mentioned some of the order tracking. You you mentioned some of the uh, other things that have come up. A lot of folks want to also talk about, well, TDR, transactional data reporting, 4P. There's a big push to use data, understand where those opportunities are, but also understand how agencies can make better decisions through market research as a service. Can you talk a little bit about the plan around TDR, 4P, and, and, and the bigger picture around data? As you all know, everybody in the audience knows that TDR has been uh, a little bit controversial with our inspector general. So I'll put that kindly. First of all, we're actually grateful for our IG looking at it because they make some legitimate points. And, uh, and we de- do need to work harder to make sure that the data is of quality to make decisions. And I think we all want to go to that same place. So right now, uh, we're working on our planning to figure out how we might be able to expand TDR beyond uh, what we have in the current pilot. Uh, And so it's not necessarily an easy thing. And so what we're discovering is for some things, it's easier than others. So we have different buckets that we're looking at right now. So for non-configurable products, you know, like a piece of paper or a pencil, it's easier than, say, a configurable product, like a laptop that has lots of different options, which in turn is easier than services. And so we're really digging into where can we get the best quality? How do we get the best quality? So we have different groups that are looking at all those different uh, permutations uh, in order to figure those kinds of things out. 
we are actually getting some pretty good TDR data. We, we've spent most of FY23 really, really drilling in on the quality of the data. And if there are people in the audience here who are with companies that deal with a lot of product, you may have actually heard from us in terms of we've scrutinized the TDR data coming from certain companies and we're trying to figure out how we can improve the match quality and things like that there. So huge effort focusing on quality. Efforts then, you, you've mentioned the 4P tool. Uh, so the 4P tool is something that our contracting officers use in terms of when they're analyzing new mass offers. Uh, and so the 4P pulls in data from a whole host of different services. It pulls in commercial pricing data, it pulls in mass data, it pulls in TDR, it pulls in contract data from, from other agencies, really to establish what the horizontal pricing is. So all of that is ingested into that tool. But you're gonna see this year in particular, the focus on, okay, what hurdles do we have to get over in terms of when we can expand the pilot? And I'll, I'll make it really clear right here. We don't have a date in terms of when that pilot is going to be expanding. Uh, I just have a burning desire to do it. Uh, so we don't put out dates anymore because the, the IG kind of latches onto those dates and then we're held to them. So I'll, I'll just leave it as we aspire to increase the scope and size of the TDR program. We also aspire to using it for uh, many different things, not just for, you know, when we're, we're analyzing new contracts, but like Irv Keller has talked to you about for demand data demand analysis, things of that nature, uh, to help industry understand, you know, maybe instead of having 150,000 things on a catalog, you have 2,000 things on a catalog because those are, those are what are selling. So lots happening in the TDR world this year. Without going into too much, Tom, let, let me just throw out the, the question that I think is obvious around the IG. And, and I know there's some sensitivities there, but are you having conversations regularly with IG to explain the plan for the TDR, how you're going to expand it, why you think this is the right move. How are you working with them to kind of alleviate some of those headbutting that I think we've seen over the last few years? I think it's improving. We're, we have regular conversations with the IG and we, we do seek you know, input from them. Uh, ultimately, we do have to make decisions. We, we don't want to have management by IG and I don't think they want to have that either. So we share to them to, with the to them to the extent that we can. Uh, we solicit feedback from them uh, to the extent that we can. Uh, and we always have a conversation. I, I have a monthly meeting with my counterpart in OIG. Uh, I know that Mark Lee uh, of our Office of Policy and Compliance has very regular conversations with them as well, trying to keep them up to date as much as we can and, and not to blindside them or to surprise them. We have to take a break. My guest today is Tom Howder, the Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. I caught up with Tom at a recent ACT-IAC event. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Tom Howder, the Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. I moderated an ACT-IAC event where Tom was the guest speaker. I want to delve into a little bit more about the 4P tool and, and, and those areas. The data piece is so important for GSA. I mean, really, every agency says data is the new oil. It's really pushing it. 
How are you all also using data to improve the acquisition process, whether internally or externally with your customers slash industry partners? I delved a little bit into the 4P tool, and I got to tell you that, that my knowledge of the depths of 4P don't extend a whole lot beyond that, Jason. But can be, um, but- it can be any, any data. I was just using that as a kickoff. Really think about where is GSA going with how they're using data to drive decisions? I think, you know, you all have been a leader with dashboards. I love your GWAC dashboards, right? And anytime I read about Alliant 2 or, or Polaris, well, that's not out yet, but you get my point. Any GWAC that you talk to, EIS, there's always a amount of data that you all provide. Uh, I'm thinking more just broadly about how you use data to really just, are starting to use data better to drive decisions. Data is playing uh, an increasingly important role in our decision-making, which is, Again, why we're putting so much focus on on TDR, because we want to get that data to be clean. We also want to be able to to share data. And we are providing tools like Calc out there publicly. We're putting them on y.gsa.gov. So we're we're trying to compile all of our resources into a single place where where people can find them uh, and help them make those decisions. Internally, uh, we certainly have just whole host of different tools that we're pulling together to help in the use of data driving decisions. The catalog effort is uh, one that I would uh, particularly like to focus on. That's, uh, I think, really kind of almost at the, the fulcrum of our much larger systems improvement effort in, in FAS, uh, which is why we've pulled that program specifically out of uh, the rest of the organization. We're having a report now directly to the, the uh, commissioner's office. Catalog is, has really been daunting, but I think it's been a great success. Uh, and so when you think of the, the world of how many things are offered through GSA contracts, and uh, it's tens of millions of different things. So to have a, a, a single place, a definitive repository of all this information is, is really huge. Uh, and that's what we're trying to strive for there. Uh, and that's also one of these things where I think it's going to relieve a lot of uh, burden on industry. So like SIP and cores, which are systems that people love to hate, uh, those will be going away. I know that the folks who have participated in the, the catalog pilot thus far are really happy with it. Uh, and we've got another tranche of uh, folks that we're going to try to bring in on, on the next round. So I think you're going to see a lot of movement of availability of that catalog to industry. Those are a variety of different places where using data and playing in data and having data drive decisions, but also uh, where data makes lives easier for our customers as well as our, our vendor community. Tom, I want to talk about workforce now because I think anything you all do, any changes you make, any, any updates are great, but if the workforce can't use them, aren't trained well, you don't have enough people, all of those can go for naught because, again, the workforce is the key. So let's start with some basics. How is uh, FAS looking around the workforce? How are you looking from a, a numbers perspective? Do you have a big retirement wave coming, which hasn't happened yet? Give us a kind of a general sense of, of how you're doing. We have about 4,000 people right now. We we hit the 4,000 number last fiscal year. Jason, we're continuing to grow and rather robustly. As you know, the federal process federal hiring process is not a simple or easy thing to do. So we've been uh, trying our hardest to grow. In fact, uh, in our senior executive metrics, we have targets in there. We will grow the organization this amount. The real shortage, uh, no surprise, same thing is true everywhere in government, is with the acquisition workforce specifically. Now, 
when you're in the federal acquisition service is particularly acute. You absolutely need to get the acquisition workforce on board. Uh, and, and we've had challenges just like every agency uh, keeping and retaining talent. GSA also has, tends to have a, an older workforce, an ac older acquisition workforce than many other agencies. And so most of our acquisition workforce is, uh, you know, journeyman level. We know that we now have to recruit and train people at lower levels, hopefully people who will stick around GSA as long as I have, instead of just hiring somebody who's a GS-13. We're, we're all just stealing professionals from each other at this point. So the way out of this is to to bring in talent and raise them up. And so we have a, an effort that we're working in tandem with uh, the GSA Office of Human Resources Management, and it's called Acquisition Talent Development, ATD program. Uh, and PBS is a partner in this as well. We're bringing in uh, more than 100 acquisition professionals at the, at the lower grades, and we're going to train them up. FAS is already committed to take 80% of those. Uh, and so this is going to be a continuous pipeline. It's not going to be a a one-year deal. We're going to keep doing this because we have to, because when we're in a growth posture, it's even more difficult than just trying to stay even. You you actually have to fight over a scarce resource in an environment where you need even more of them. Uh, so we're reaching out every way you can possibly imagine. In fact, uh, we're doing a lot of reach out even through social media and uh, kind of a, a funny story here. My wife, who has nothing to do with the government whatsoever, a completely unrelated job, she keeps telling me that on LinkedIn, she keeps getting ads for GSA jobs. And it's like, well, then it's working. So, you know, we're, we're, we're doing the carpet bombing. Everybody's, everybody's finding out. So we're, we're overturning every single, every rock that we can. We'll go to the college campuses and we'll bring GSA, who are alumni from, the, from that university, uh, recent alumni and try to use them. You've heard of business development people. They're always saying, always be closing. And I'm always saying, always be recruiting. That's sort of my mantra here lately. So along that vein, if anybody in the audience wants to come work for GSA, there's announcements out there. Uh, we also have lots of opportunity while I'm doing the commercial here for the PIF program in the U.S. Digital Core. And we're the number four agency for where to come to work in terms of mid-sized agencies. So uh, it's a great place to be. So thank you for letting me do the commercial. We have to take a break. My guest today is Tom Howder, the Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. I caught up with Tom at a recent ACT-IAC event. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Tom Howder, the Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. I moderated an ACT-IAC event where Tom was the guest speaker. I want to go back to this new program, the Acquisition Talent Development. Can you maybe just walk through a little bit what it is, how it works, but what is different about it than how you previously recruited before? In the past, it was much more piecemeal. So, you know, the public building service would have their own entry-level recruiting effort. FAS, we didn't really do it from a FAS perspective. You'd see it happening by business line. So you might have PSHC doing their effort. You'd see AES doing theirs. This really brings it to a more centralized, standardized approach. And I think by taking it out of the individual business lines, uh, you can let the business lines focus on the business. So recruiting always got short shrift. You know? So when you're in an organization where you're focused on what's the next customer going to bring in, 
what are we going to get for revenue? Sometimes things like recruiting, it's like, okay, yeah, we have to deal with that, but that's not our primary mission. So by having our Office of Human Resources Management, who do have that as their primary mission, spearhead it, uh, and then us providing support to them to do that, whether financial support or whether having people sitting on all the panels uh, to go through all the different resumes that come in, uh, it's, it's a better model. And when we do bring them on board, then we can put them into a comprehensive training program that's standardized across the agency to a degree, but also then specialized in terms of, are they going to be a, a, a leasing specialist in PBS? Are they going to go and work assisted acquisitions? Are they going to work in a schedules program? So we can hit it from a whole lot of different directions and uh, I think take the burden off of the uh, the business line people to always be recruiting. We can we can have that done in other places. Tom, I really appreciate you sharing on that because I think it's really an important lesson for lots of agencies and businesses to understand that, hey, it's not just a, a one-off recruiting effort. There's a challenge all around. You mentioned uh, about 80% of the new hires potentially would go to FAS. Do you have a target of how many people you are trying to hire? You said you have to keep up with both uh, attrition and retirements. Do you get a sense of whether it's 20 people or 100 people? And, and then the other side piece of this is the, the fact is you're sharing certs, right? It's not just professional services is hiring and PBS is hiring. It's we're going to get a, a group of people and then see who fits where. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have to grow more than 100 people this year. It's it's pretty acute. Uh, so uh, you go back to some of the statistics you mentioned right at the beginning of this. And you're talking about you know double-digit growth in some of these areas. We just need people. We need qualified people to come in uh, and and help us out. And we need people with, uh, who can handle acquisition and handle the environment. That so it's uh, you do have you do have uh, nutrition too. So you have to overcome that as well. But we have to net grow more than 100. Tom, we got a question from our friend Mary Davy. Uh, she awesome. writes, FAS utilizes several systems to support the acquisition process, Assist, Symphony, Calm. Do you envision these systems will continue to exist in their current forms with current functionality, or do you think there's an opportunity to consolidate or link the systems and functionality, some portion of that at some point? Where it makes sense, we would like to do that. Uh, but so, for example, those three systems have pretty distinct functions. Uh, and so Assist is what's used by the assisted acquisition service. And it is really more of uh, an order and financial management system. Calm is a contract writing system. Uh, and Symphony is sort of like that intake system for uh, handling the basics of doing a procurement and making awards. So they, they do fairly distinct different things. Uh, there are some synergies. Um, we have long thought that to the extent that we can ingest part of Calm into Assist, that would be a great thing. So we are looking for things like that, but there are actually distinct reasons for some of these systems to be more independent of each other. One last bit about the workforce, and then maybe we can do a, a speed round of any updates you want to provide on some of the GWACs and MACs that I know people are interested in. Uh, from a workforce perspective, great, you're recruiting people, but you also have, a, you have to retain people and train people. There was a, a legislative proposal that GSA is putting forward. Jeff Kosas mentioned this just the other day to increase the funding uh, or percentage of 
of, of money that would go to the acquisition uh, training fund. What are you all doing around training? How's that morphing? How's that continuing to, to evolve? Because, again, a lot of just-in-time training, we hear that a lot. That larger ATD effort does include a, a training component there, so we're, we're focusing a lot of attention there. Um, we are also in support of what Jeff Kosas is putting forward in terms of, of funding training. And, of course, some of that funding will come from uh, Federal Acquisition Service. We consider that an investment in our people, so, so we're, we're glad to do that as well. I think GSA has been very progressive in terms of making training available to people, uh, maybe more than a lot of other agencies. And, you know, we're, we're always putting uh, emphasis on getting the right certifications for people, uh, whether those are you know, vaccine certifications or whether there are other kinds of certifications. What really has been missing over the years is uh, that comprehensive look at it. And it has been piecemeal. Um, hopefully through ATD and other efforts, we will be able to have something that's more comprehensive. It's difficult for uh, a mid-sized agency to do that. You know, you look at some of the larger agencies and they have very robust training regimens. We don't have the same economy of scale as some of them maybe, uh, but uh, I think you're really going to see some more emphasis on that in FY24. Uh, Tom, in the last five minutes together, we're going to do the, the speed round, right? People want to know right. what is going on with all the different acquisitions so let's let's do the easy one, Tom. Oasis Plus. Hopefully be awarded this year. There you go. Good. You see, I knew it was going to be easy. Speed round. Polaris. It's an interesting situation with, uh, you know, the, the cough C decision. Uh, and now as we try to uh, remediate that to have another set of, of protests come in, I'm just hoping we can get it across the line. I fear in general that we start to get ourselves into a tragedy of the common situation. Uh, with a lot of uh, these acquisitions where companies, you know, very much uh, looking out for their own best interests, as they should, ends up hobbling the overall success of the program. And I don't think that's just with Polaris. I think you see that with some of the other acquisitions, even outside of, of GSA. We're hoping we can get through it and resolve it. What I would really hate to see is if Hossie has a certain set of decisions and then GAO has like different sets of decisions and then it has to become like a legislative fix. That's that's a fear and a concern in general. Hope that doesn't happen uh, and hope we can get through it. That's all the time we have for today. You just heard from Tom Howder, the Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. I moderated a recent event sponsored by Act IAC where Tom Howder was the guest speaker. I'm Jason Miller and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.